Happy Father's Day. I love this day. It's that day that, you know, I'm reminded that I wrote these things down. I, I, I'm reminded that I have a wonderful wife. I have four amazing kids. I have six grandchildren. That, that just, it's an amazing life. I don't need sappy sentiments and some kind of card that you picked up at Kroger that you didn't mean, but you forgot, and so you paid a dollar and fifty cents for it. I, I don't need that. I, you know, I don't need an, that day. For people to tell me I'm loved, but it surely is appreciated, right? Whenever people say those kinds of things to you. Dads, we have a special gift for you today. When you leave today, you can pick up one of these IBC root beers or one of these IBC cream sodas or, and one of these beef jerky. Some of you, I noticed, picked them up when you came in because you knew that would keep you awake. I just want to remind you that while this company started bottling this root beer in 1919, that's 100 years ago, White Oak is still almost 190 years, so we precede IBC. And the other part is, the reason we picked this out, it says, I believe Christ. That's a dad joke. I knew you'd love that as I get started with that whole thing. So you can take that. This will give you a great conversation starter at work. Don't tell IBC that I said it. it says, I believe Christ, because they'll say it's their trademark, and they'll sue me for taking over their trademark. Don't, don't, don't tell them. Don't, just don't do that. Here's what I really hope you'll do. You'll take that root beer home, that beef jerky, pull the lawn chair up under the shade tree tonight, or this afternoon, and sit down and just kind of chill. Hopefully you won't drown in the rain that will be coming along but that you have an enjoyable afternoon. Because you know, after all, I mean, we just get uh, amazing. Most of the time, the gifts we get, whether, unless it's a John Deere riding lawnmower or a, a four-wheel, four-wheel quad runner, man, every gift that we get most of the time on Father's Day is fleeting and it just kind of goes away, right? So we want to join right in. IBC root beer, cream soda, and a beef jerky. You can't get any better than that. And that keeps mom from having to make any kind of lunch. You know, because that part goes along, right? But happy Father's Day to you. Symbols, they're, they're important to us. There are things that, that we see, that we pay attention to as we go along. I wonder if you recognize these symbols. Just call out whenever you see them. Tell me what that is. Apple, right. Next one. Twitter. Twitter. Yeah, way to go. Half the crowd went, what? Uh, this next one. Batman. I did this particularly for Lewis Dorman, so remind him that I did this, Jane, that I had this up here. Man, he's the greatest Batman fan for a five, six-year-old I've ever ran into. This one. Yeah, Shell. What? What's the I say? There, thank you. I got it. That's it. Shell. How about this one? Fortnite. How many of you play Fortnite? Yeah, how many of you have kids that play Fortnite? How many of you have grandkids that play Fortnite? Yeah, well, you will at some point in time have somebody who's playing Fortnite. It is the most popular video game in the world today, and it's an online presence that we've never seen before. And uh, Rick Barnett will send me the, the New York Times article about the Fortnite guy, right? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> he keeps me up on my New York Times, that's for sure, and the Wall Street Journal. Somebody has to. I just read Mad Magazine. Uh, <clears throat> moving right along. This is the number two symbol in the whole world. What is it? Coca-Cola. Yeah, Coke. <laughs> and you guys will love it. Part of the reason that it is one of the most recognizable symbols in the whole world is because of Coke's dream and Coke's reason. Their goal was to have and is to have a Coke within arm's reach of every person on planet Earth, 8 billion people. 
That's their goal. Stated by their CEO, stated by their board of directors, over and over again, a can of Coke or a Coke within arm's reach of each person in the world. And yet, Coke continues to take strides in that direction because they haven't reached the goal yet. They don't have Coke within arm's reach of every person. And part of the reason that, that they continue to do this is because Coke is very passionate about what they do. I find it fascinating that they really believe in sugar water. Right? I mean, sugar water. And as a result, they've made huge strides over the years and been called the second most recognizable symbol in all the world. Notice I said second most recognizable symbol because there is one that is greater. Leads me to the question, what is the most recognizable symbol in the world today? It's this. It's the cross, yeah. Yeah, even people who don't like it, even people who don't care about it, they understand there's a cross. They wear it as jewelry. They see it in a variety of different places. Even whenever I'm in India or in Honduras and other countries where, where people may not have seen the cross necessarily, they will recognize the cross. They don't know the message. They don't know the meaning, but they know it's a cross. And like Coca-Cola, we still have a lot of work to do to explain the meaning and the beauty of the cross, not just around the world, but even in our own community. Because I think if you drew a 15-mile radius around each of our buildings in Ross and at Coleraine, we'd still have lots and lots of people who don't know what the cross means and what Jesus did for us on the cross. Coca-Cola would never say, we've reached enough people. We've gone far enough. We got the truck that backed up to Kroger and Meyer and, you know, Target, even if the computer didn't work, we still got it there, right? You guys read all that. Coca-Cola would, never say, would only say there are more people to reach, and we have to continue to take the message out. Never let it be said, though, that Coca-Cola is more passionate about sugar water than the church is about Jesus. Have you ever thought about that? There's more passion for sugar water and making sure that is known around the world than there often is on our behalf in making the cross known to the whole world. Wow. Wow. Dads, moms, kids, that's such a challenge for us. What Coca-Cola would focus on isn't their success, but their potential. Yeah, yeah, you have to check off for the shareholders that we made money and so on and so forth. But they're always looking at their potential. Where's the next market? What is it we need to say? How do we take Coke to every person in the world? And that's what we want to have to focus on as well. God hasn't blessed us with success. No matter how big our church is, God hasn't blessed us with success. He's blessed us with potential. Because there are always people around us, no matter how big the church is or how small the church is, the potential is the number of people in our community who don't know Jesus. People who don't know the links that Jesus went to in order to bring them his amazing grace. So today I want to talk to you about how we continue to take steps toward this potential to reach more and more people. Not because it makes us famous, but because it makes him famous. Two weeks ago, we started out our series and we asked this question, what do we want to be known for? What do we want to be known for? And, and, and the challenge is, how do, we, how do we live that out? And we realized we answered it, we want to be for our community. For our community. In fact, we said the bottom line from that, that week was this, 
Many people are more familiar with what the church is against than what the church is for. And we want to be known for what we're for. We're for Coleraine. We're for Cincinnati. We're for the community. God put us here nearly 190 years ago to reach this community for Christ. Our job is not finished yet. There's still more to do. We're for people. We're for schools. We're for businesses. We want this community to thrive because we're a part of this community. And the reason we're for this community is because God is for this community. John 3.16, we all know it. For God so loved the world. It doesn't say that he just loved part of the world, a few of the world, some of the people. He says, God so loved the world. And he put us here to love the world. So there's some amazing opportunities as a result of that. Last week, we said very simply that we are for saying yes, that God is for you. And we challenge people to follow Jesus. Jesus proves God is for you as he came for us, came from heaven, came to be a part of our lives so that we could have forgiveness and eternal life. We challenge people to consider Jesus, and we saw several people baptized last week. In first service today, we had another baptism as people were determined to follow Jesus, to be baptized and to serve him. Maybe that's you today, that you need to make that next step that steps into the waters of baptism so that you follow Jesus in the way that he wants us to do that. To continue this series, I want to specifically speak today about one way we're going to do that, the reason. The reason so many people don't know Jesus and don't attend church is because they've said no. They've said no. In some cases, they may believe the church has said no to them, but they've said no to Jesus. They've said no to the church. They've said no to the things that we might believe about Father God. Today, I want to talk about the mindset that I want us to have in order to reach the communities that God's given to us to respond to people who might say no. Our response will show our community that we're for them and more importantly show them that their Heavenly Father is too. And so a big idea today is this. We are for common ground. We're for common ground. We're for those places where we can agree together that we have work to do. Too, too often we wait for people to come to us. We're not sure we want to go to them. We're not sure about those kinds of things. And Jesus gave us this amazing clue about what we're to do based upon what he said he had come to do. In an interesting passage of scripture in Luke chapter 19, the third book of the New Testament, book written by Luke, who's a doctor and a historian, probably wrote the book of Luke along with the book of Acts and the letters of Paul to present to the Roman uh, emperor and to the legal people at that time who were putting Paul in prison so that he could have compiled, here's who Jesus is, here's what Paul has been doing, and then here's what Paul has said about that work. So they would know that it wasn't against the Roman Empire, but it was truly the message of God to all the world. And uh, in the first century, here's what he writes. Luke 19, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, region, excuse me, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus, and he called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your house today, your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house. 
in great excitement and joy. But hate it when that word shows up in the scripture because it means something that's about to happen is not so good. It simply says this, but the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to those to the poor Lord, and if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who were lost. There there are several challenges in that particular passage of Scripture, but Jesus makes very clear that he came to seek and to save the lost, those who are far from God. And he did so by going to where people were, literally to their homes, into the homes of people that he should have had nothing to do with. I love how two young women came to know Jesus last year on our mission trip to Haiti. And they came to know Jesus because one of their co-workers, who was the co-leader, or the leader actually, of that trip, confronted them at work and said, hey, here's what we're going to be doing. We're headed to Haiti to work with under-resourced children. He knew their heart for kids was great. And so he challenged them and encouraged them to come along. He just reminded them this is going to be a church mission trip, and there's some work that we have to do. He came in on the common ground of work and the common ground of working with under-resourced kids. In the midst of us reading a book and studying scripture, working on devotional thoughts, and listening to so many share the good news of Jesus from their own lives, these two women decided to follow Jesus, and they were baptized in the mission pool because somebody was willing to look for the common ground. Let's define lost Lost is the opposite of found. See, it's Father's Day. I have to state the obvious, right? I mean, that's what dads do. And and all the people say, uh, right? But lost is the opposite of found. And, And so what does it mean to be lost? The lost are people who said no to Jesus, to the church, and to what we believe about God. Now, often there are also people, though, who feel like the church has said no to them. That, that they're up in a tree looking for God, and we said no to them. I'm amazed by this story here in Luke chapter 19, because the one who brings order, who brings right, abundant, generous, beautiful, flourishing goodness to a broken man, this man who's small of stature, he's up in a tree, is the person that we would least expect to touch someone who was far from him. I mean, this is the Holy One of God touching one who was so despised by the culture. You see, Zacchaeus was a traitor to his culture. He's a tax collector. He's turned his back on his Jewishness and joined the Roman government. They, They were hated by all the people, as the Scripture says. But the people were upset with Jesus because he's gone to be with a notorious sinner. You see... Zacchaeus was out, far out. He was one that the people had said no to. And he was one that Jesus reaches out to. To we Christians today, instead of a tax collector, Jesus might have said a bisexual, an atheist, a burlesque dancer, or one of those folks with the bumper sticker of the Darwin Amphibian who eats the Jesus whale sticker. 
See, those are the people that Jesus came to love. And guess what? We are them. You see, the tax collector is us and really not a nice guy. He's not someone that Jesus just kind of picks up and polishes off, brushes a little bit of dirt off. No, no. As the scripture says, read that word again. Has anybody ever called you this? He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. That's each of us here. Notorious sinners. Before we can run around doing good, we must acknowledge our need to be healed and restored. Welcomed into the kingdom. Knowing that God is excited to sit at our table as an honored guest. Isn't it amazing that Jesus has said to each of us here, some of us have invited him into the house, but every person here he said, hey, I want to come to your house. I, I want to sit at your table. And that's, that's the question that he says. That's, that's what he's saying to us today. I want to come in. Are you willing to let me in? And that kind of humility is at the heart of good faith. Loving well, believing rightly, and living out our love and belief starts here. If we do that, then we can tackle those tricky, treacherous issues that threaten to derail good conversations that we hope to have. We realize we're broken and that Jesus has brought us life. And so when we're talking to other people who are broken, we're just looking for those opportunities for Jesus to bring them life. So here's how we're going to change that as part of our four movement. Our church is here to say that we are going to say yes to those who've said no. We're going to say yes to people who've said no to what we believe. We're going to say yes to people who said no to the church. We're going to say yes to people who said no to Jesus. And we're going to say yes to people who just don't know. We, we are going to go out of our way to encourage others to build the best community possible around the Coleraine campus, the Ross campus. And this will require us to push back against insider thinking. Because insider thinking is what creeps into almost every organization being concerned with insiders only. Coca-Cola fights against this constantly. I, I mean, they've never allowed insider thinking from stopping them from trying to put a Coke within arm's reach of every person on the planet. Insider thinking for Coke would say, hey, we have a huge market share. We have already have a lot of people drinking Coke. We are good. They, they've, never, they, they've never thought like that. And yet the church often can. Again, never let it be said that Coke is more passionate about sugar water than we are about reaching people for Jesus. It will cost us, and it is right. This will require us to push back against insider thinking. There's a drift in any organization towards insider thinking. You see, in the church world, we rarely get calls from outsiders saying, hey, you know, if you'll do this, we'll start attending church. Rarely. Instead, we get emails and anonymous letters, and those aren't very much fun, right? That say, if you don't do this or play this style of music or launch this program, we're going to leave. If we aren't careful, we'll start crafting our church around people who are already going to spend eternity in heaven. I've had lots of these conversations, and here's what I tell people. See, the best kind of church for you to attend isn't one that caters to you, but instead invites you into the mission of focusing on those who are far from God. This is the mission of Jesus, seeking and saving the lost. You see, one of the things that I learned is <clears throat> before I became a Christian, 
that the focus was on me and, and, and the message was for me. And then after I became a Christian, all of a sudden the focus came off me and was even more pronounced on Jesus, but it was on reaching out to those who are far from him. And that's really hard in our narcissistic culture because our narcissistic culture says, I ought to be the center of all this. And Jesus calls me to die so that he could be raised up and to live in the lives of people who are around us. Man, that, that is hard. That is hard. Today I want to ask you to serve in our church, to give to our church, to get involved in the mission of Jesus. Because here's why on the screen. You will never know what the church can do for you until you experience what the church can do through you. You see, that's true of Jesus. You could even say you'll never know what Christ can do for you until you experience what the church, what Christ can do through you. As you step out, all of a sudden he brings the power necessary for you to take that next step. And I want to get very practical about how we're trying to do this. We aren't experts. We're learning. We're going to make mistakes. There's a lot I could say, but I want to boil it down to two ways that we work today. And these two ways aren't something I came up with. They're things that I've read and other people have tried. But we're simply trying to follow a model that the Apostle Paul uses in Acts chapter 17 when he went to Athens. Amazing story there in Acts chapter 17 as Paul walks in to Athens and he begins to walk around and notice things that are happening. He's looking for a way to start a conversation about Jesus with people who have no idea who Jesus is. They've, they've not heard of him. In fact, their worship is not monotheistic. They have many gods. They didn't worship just one god. And, and, and how would Paul even segue into talking about Jesus? Well, here's what we read in Acts chapter 17, beginning there with verse 22. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way, for as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. Now I want you to notice something here. This is incredible. Because oftentimes we'll read that passage of Scripture and think, oh, you know, Paul's being snarky with them. Ah, you guys got all these... God, you're such ignorant people. You don't know what's going on. The reality is that he went out into the community. He saw. He walked around. He asked questions. He observed and he listened. And, and this, this example is very helpful to us as a staff team, as a church, as we walk around and pay attention because we want to say yes by listening more. We ask more questions in our community about what are the needs there? What do we need to bring to bear to our community? I was reading a story a few weeks ago, and it was about Popeye's chicken. Here I am, I'm advertising IBC root beer and Popeye's chicken. You didn't know you were coming to church for a great commercial, right? But the, but the leader of that, the CEO, Cheryl Batchelder, led an amazing turnaround in that company several years ago. And when she was asked the most important action that she ever took as a leader in implementing the change necessary, she said, I went on a listening tour. I began to ask people about chicken and what they wanted and what was looking for, and she went around and listened. And this is huge. This is huge. 
few years ago, there was a survey that was done for people who identified themselves as nuns, N-O-N-E-S, people who did not believe in God or in Jesus. They had no religion at all. Here's their profile. They're 18 to 20, 34 years old. They live in the United States. They have no religion. And when they were asked, how interested would you be in hanging out with a church pastor or staff member, 84% of them said, not interested in hanging out with a church pastor or staff member. They aren't interested in hanging out with us, then how are we going to reach them with the good news about Jesus? But there was a glimmer of hope and good news in the midst of this survey on that listening tour. This question was asked, what, if anything, do you like or would you like about the church? And the answer that came back was this, community. Community. It's a place where people get together. In fact, one verbatim answer was this. It said, I would be more likely to attend church if I could find a community I could relate to. See, here's what happens to us sometimes when we start talking about the millennial generation and we start talking about other generations. We talk about, we don't talk to. And so we haven't had this conversation with a millennial. We haven't tried to relate. We just say, well, they're lazy. Well, they're entitled. Well, they're, well, they're, well. Have we related to people? Because that's what the generation is looking for, people who will relate to them. And we cannot relate to people by sitting here and hoping they'll come in. The only way you can relate to people is by going out and starting those kinds of conversations. So one of the things I want you to do today is as you leave, is be sure that you greet someone that you don't recognize. They may have been a part of this church for the last 50 years. I don't care. But some person that you'll go up to and introduce yourself to. Because that's what the church brings to the community, is this opportunity to relate to each other. In a place where Jesus was willing to come down and be a part of our mess, why is it that we struggle with being a part of the mess in people's lives? That's what this 18 to 34-year-old nun is looking for, N-O-N-E, a place, a community I could relate to. We don't have to compromise our beliefs. I carry on conversations with people all the time that don't believe the same things I believe, that I will challenge in the midst of their belief, and they'll challenge me right back, and we're building relationships. We just need to be available. We need to listen. We need to let people know that we're for them. The church is here for them. Every Sunday is someone's first Sunday, and it's a first opportunity to begin to build a relationship. There are special guests. We want them to know who we know, Jesus. They're going to park in our parking spot. They're going to sit in our seat. They're going to look different than we do. They're going to sound different than we do, and yet we relate to them. Can I encourage you to take your your connection card out of the out of your program right now because there are two ways in which we can begin to build some of those relationships. Here in Coleraine on August the 7th is the Health and Safety Fair where we, where we encourage students in the Northwest School District with supplies and haircuts and a variety of different things that go on at Northgate Mall. We're always a part of the Health and Safety Fair. If you'd like to be a part of that, that's generally during the day on August the 7th. We're putting together our teams that will minister on that day, and you get some great conversations. Man, I just, I just go to Northgate Mall and walk around, talk to people. Tell me about your kid. Man, people will talk about their kids. They'll talk about what's coming next in school. They'll talk about what's worrying them, and I'm just listening. 
That's August the 7th. And August the 10th will be our second community day at, at Coleraine High School. And that day we meet at 8.30. There are other churches that will join us, other organizations in the area. But we're going to paint rooms. We're going to clean rooms. We're going to help high school teachers set up their rooms. You know, one of the things I noticed is that oftentimes elementary and preschool student uh, teachers, excuse me, teachers will have people come in and help them in their rooms. But most people ignore the high school. I mean, those kids are weird and they're going to say mean things to us and so on. So we just figure that the the teachers there are bulletproof and they can do it on their own. Man, last year it was amazing to have that conversation with one of the teachers. Why are you doing this? And Mark Gilbert and I are working in the room together, which is always a scary thing. <clears throat> and uh, she says, why are you guys doing that? Mark said, that's my pastor. And she goes, what? Your pastor's here painting my room? I said, well, I didn't have anything better to do. Um, and, and it was a great conversation because we said, we care for you. We'll do the same kind of thing in Ross and other places around the community. But this is the way we develop that common ground, that place where we can have that conversation. Because we want to reflect selfless mercy toward those who are outside the church, whether they're friends or strangers or enemies. All that is grounded in who Jesus is, who God is, and what life is all about. It's not just an add-on. That's what Jesus did. He went out and he met people. So here's what I want to challenge us to do. Say yes in a common, unifying language, in a way that people can hear us, and that's by doing projects in our community. Here's what Paul goes on to say in Acts chapter 17 when he's talking to these people. He says to them very simply, and one of your altars has this inscription on it, to an unknown God, this God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. He's not being sarcastic. He's not being snarky. He's not, not giving up, excuse me, on conversation with them about who Jesus is. He says, hey, you've got one God that I need to tell you about. Using that common language, you've got a shrine for our God, he says. Now, let me tell you about him. The one who is unknown has come to earth and revealed himself. And he begins to talk from that point on, from that agreement. <clears throat> He's demonstrating how we can maintain dialogue and relationship, especially when we disagree. And the people wanted to hear more from him. He begins to talk from that point of agreement. We can find common ground to have a conversation even about controversial cultural issues. There needs to be a common ground and a common language that allows us to speak, whether it's from preschool to adult ministry, that communicates a purpose to our community that can be understood by those both outside and inside our church. And that's why we're launching four. That's why we're talking about we are for this community. It builds a common language and a common bond. So while I'm handing out IBC cream soda and root beer this week, you can also remember that you're holding on to a can of Coke. And that the goal of Coke is to have a can of Coke within arm's reach of every person in the world. And let it never be said that Coke is more passionate about sugar water than we are about Jesus. There's still more to be reached. And something very powerful happens when people who've said no to church realize that the church has still said yes to them. We're going to say yes to them by showing them we're for them. And the best news of all is that God is for them.